All right, well, we're continuing on in our series, Life Together. We're, we're like one weekend away from getting ready to launch home groups. So next Sunday, we'll get very practical and talk about what those gonna, are going to look like and how we can start plugging into them. And so this morning, we're talking about choosing community. So I want to review just a couple of quick things, and then we're going to jump into this. First of all, we've had a, a core theme verse that we've looked at every step along the way. It's from Matthew chapter 28. It's a very familiar verse to us and sometimes because something becomes familiar we can almost tune out and let the words just wash right over the top of us instead of sinking deep and so each week my hope is that we're really taking this to heart Jesus declared this as something valuable and important and necessary for his followers to do and so one of the very last things he says to them is found here in Matthew 28 verse 18 Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So all the power, all the authority, everything I have, here's my master plan. You. I'm sending you. And what I want you to do is connect with other people. And so go and make disciples of all nations. Everyone's invited. Everyone is welcome. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this world needs to meet God for who he really is. Now, do we think he might be not the man upstairs? Notice Jesus really identifies him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, were to know him and walk with him. And so baptize them into his name. Introduce them to him. Help them identify with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so there's the encouragement. He's sending us out, but not on our own. He's in us and he's with us to go and love the world that we're around. So Jesus' plan is about people. It's about relationships. Um, he boiled down the whole word of God into a couple of statements. Love God and love other people. That's his heart for us. And so he sent us out. So here's what we've done over the last few weeks. We've just identified a few core things that will help us understand what it means to be a disciple and to walk in a relationship where I'm letting other people pour into me and I'm giving away and pouring into the lives of others. And so we've just taken some time to identify a few things. So we've used some shapes to hopefully help us remember these things easily. Um, hopefully you can remember to draw a triangle and then remember the three key words that make up a disciple. And so... This is pulled out of Matthew 4.19. How many of you young adults have learned this stuff at Grace Chapel over the years? I know those of you guys who have gone through high school have learned this stuff from David. So here we go. As a reminder, several weeks ago we, we just identified what is a disciple. And so in Matthew 4.19, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we hear three clear things there. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus. That involves relationship. And then as they're following him, he's changing them. And so he begins to work in our lives. Often when we don't even realize it, he is at work changing and shaping us. And then as we're following him and he's changing us, the third thing is just as vital as the other two, we're on mission with him. Jesus never intended discipleship to be just me sitting in my room with a journal growing and then never going anywhere with that. He wants to change me so I can then love and serve others and see him change other people's lives as well. So disciple is someone who's doing those three things. So then what does that process look like? If somebody starts the journey of growing in their relationship with Jesus, of following him and being changed by him and being on mission with him, they don't just 
start at maturity. We start out the way children start out. And so we looked at this kind of little wheel that helped us have a picture from just the naturally how we grow to also learn how God grows in us supernaturally. And so in the same way that a, a child is, is not alive and they're conceived and they're born and they come into this world as an infant and then they grow through childhood into young adulthood and then become a parent themselves, that's the same spiritual process of maturity that we are on. People need Jesus. And so they meet him and they, they come to life in him and they're born again. And then our role in their lives is to help them grow a step at a time. I don't expect an infant to have it all together like an adult. And so I treat an infant the way they would be treated. I help them eat. I help change their messes, right? A new believer in Jesus, they're going to make a mess sometimes. And they're not even going to know where to start. And so we help feed them and, and help them grow. And then when they get to childhood, we start to give them a little bit more. They've got more and more questions. They eat a, more, a greater variety of food. They begin to walk a little bit on their own. But they still need coaching. They still need attention. They still need love. And then a young adult, a young adult needs, needs room to fail. They need room to try things, to go on adventures. They need room to start learning how to pour into the lives of others. And that might get messy. That's all right. We'll coach them along the way and we'll give them some freedom to grow and explore. And then finally, we reach a point, not where we're perfect, but we reach a point where we've been growing in our relationship with God, and now we begin to pour into the lives of somebody else. And we, we become a part of that discipleship process in somebody else's life. And so that's what that process looks like. Now, that might sound all smooth and good and like this upward trajectory, but it's not. It's messy, and it's all over the place, and we grow at different rates, and that's okay. And so that's where it's vital for us to understand the parts that we play in the lives of others when we're discipling. And so then we looked at these three circles and talked about how there's three parts in discipleship. There's God's part, right? He does the changing. He does the transforming. There's the other person's part. They make choices and decisions about following Jesus on their own. And then my role is the person pouring into their lives. I pray for them. I talk to the Lord about them. I encourage them. I challenge them. I'm patient with them. I don't try to do their part for them. I can't push them along faster than they're ready to go. I just walk with them. It's okay where they are. I also don't try to do God's part and make the change happen in their life. That's not real change if I've just kind of bullied somebody into making a decision or doing something they don't want to do. And really the goal in discipleship is not for somebody to learn how to follow me and become just like me. The goal is for me to help them learn how to follow Jesus on their own. And so I'm really kind of taking their hand and helping place it in the Lord's hand. And then they learn how to walk with Jesus for a lifetime. And so that's, that's a snippet of our part. Um, and then finally, uh, we talk about the types of people that we will find ourselves in relationship with. And if, if you begin to intentionally invest in other people's life, as you're doing that, these four things will happen. There will be people that you begin to pour into their life and they wander away like a sheep. And so Jesus in Luke chapter 15, he told this parable about four lost things. And they're about four different kinds of people who get lost along the way sometimes. And so a sheep might wander off. What do they need? They need somebody to go find them and bring them back home. Maybe they did something stupid. Maybe they got distracted. Maybe they were even being a little stubborn. But they've wandered off. And so we go look for them. We help bring them back home. Then Jesus used the example of a coin that gets lost. Well, a lost coin doesn't lose itself. 
I'm responsible to keep track of a coin. So there's actually people that can slip through the cracks because as I've been pouring into their lives, I've just sort of let it slip. Maybe I haven't reached out. Maybe I haven't really noticed them and they've, they've just kind of fallen by the wayside. What do I do? I go get them back. I go hunting for them. I, I, I make sure that I realize how valuable they are. I think it's significant that Jesus doesn't just say it's like a lost spoon from the drawer. It's a lost coin. It's something that has value. And so the people that tend to be on the edges that we may not notice or that we might slip through the cracks, the truth is they are important and they are valuable. And so there's times where we need to go hunt them back down and let them know they're loved and important to us and we want to see them around. The third kind of person we might come across that, that gets lost along the way is somebody who chooses to run and to leave and, and they don't want to be around. And it can be easy to mistake the, the prodigal son, the younger son, with a sheep that's wandered off. Well, a way that you can notice the difference is if you go chase down the sheep and they come back with you, it was just a wandering sheep. But if they don't want to come back, that means they're probably more in this camp of being the younger brother, the prodigal. And what does the father do in that story? Does he drag the son home kicking and screaming? No, he gives him freedom. He releases him to go. And yet that son knew that, that he would be welcomed home. He knew that he could go back to his father. And so that father gave him freedom. The father operated with patience and compassion because when, when the younger son does return, if they find a judgmental person who's going to run through the list of all the ways they let them down and disappointed them when they were gone, they're not going to be, feel very welcomed home. What did the father do? He ran. He forgave. He embraced. And so that's our heart towards the prodigal loving and celebrating that they've returned. And then finally, the fourth thing that's lost might not be as obvious because the fourth thing was right there at home the whole time, and it was the elder brother. That elder brother was right there in the mix, always around, but in his heart, he was resistant. He was legalistic and judgmental and refused to join the party. And so when the, the one that returned got celebrated, he's frustrated, and he refuses to come in and join the party. And so what does that person need? The father actually went out to that elder brother and invited him to come in and join the party. In fact, pleaded with him. And when Jesus finishes the story, it's interesting. The three other lost things had all been returned. But the fourth was left with a big question mark. Is he going to come home? It's interesting. I, I think Jesus is kind of highlighting that the most dangerous kind of lostness is, is the hardened heart that refuses to experience all the joy and the love that the Father has for us. The prodigal has hope. The sheep that's wandered has hope. The lost coin that has hope. That elder brother, he has hope. Otherwise, the Father wouldn't be inviting him back in. But there's a, there's a hardened, resistant heart to joining the party. And so we got to hang in there with those people. we got to remind him of how good the Father is. And, and what the Father did was he didn't just plead him to come back in. He reminded him of his place. Everything I have is yours. You're my son. I've shared it all with you. Here's your inheritance. Now let's celebrate the return of the younger brother. So there's a little bit of a snippet of where we've been. And so this morning, um, I really just want to encourage us. This is, this is kind of a message about just choosing to opt in. Opt in to community. Don't hang on the edges. Don't, don't feel like discipleship is for the veteran. It's not. I have not arrived. I'm not even close. Ask my wife and my kids. I'm a mess still. 
Maybe that doesn't encourage you so much if you're like, wait a minute, you're like the pastor guy, right? I'm a mess still. I'm on the journey. We come as we are and we opt into community and there's life there. And so I want to take you to, um, to uh, this, this long passage. We're not going to read the whole long passage, but Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus just does this unbelievable job of unpacking all this stuff that kingdom life is about. And I want to take you to the very end of it as he's wrapping up all these things that he shared. He has this to say to his disciples and to the crowd that has gathered to hear him. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So he talks about two different kinds of people here that have heard everything he's had to say to his disciples and to this whole crowd. And there's a few things that are different Um, Jesus says, first of all, the wise man, he hears, but he applies what he has heard. And then he says the end result is that his life is like one built on a solid foundation. He put into practice what he heard me talking about, and his life was built on a solid foundation. And then there's this other person known as the foolish person. And the thing that's different about that person is they they haven't done the stuff they've heard. And so their life ends up being built on shifting sand, and it falls. Now, what's interesting to me about these two people is how much they actually have in common. They have a lot in common. The first thing that we see that they have in common is they both heard the word. The wise and the foolish both heard Jesus' invitation to life in his kingdom. They both heard it. The second thing that they both have in common is they both have a house. They both have a life that is built up. The third thing that they both have in common is they experience the rain and the wind and the floods. You can guarantee in this life you are going to have difficulty. Faith quoted one of the passages where Jesus talked about that during worship. In this life you will have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. See, Jesus is inviting us into a way of life that will build our life on a firm, solid foundation. And the life that he has invited us into is is knowing him and following him in the context of community. How did Jesus start this whole passage? If we go all the way back to how he started this whole stretch, all the stuff that he was teaching them, that at the end of it, they were amazed. He started off at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at this. Two chapters back, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. See, the first thing we see is Jesus recognizes he's got a captive audience, and he's like, okay, let me show them what this needs to look like. And so he finds a place, and he sits down, and they're drawn to him. This whole community comes together, 
And he's like, all right, let's sit in community and let's talk about life. And then the second thing I see in the midst of this crowd that's come and gathered and sat down, his disciples drawing close to hear what he has to say, is verse 2. And he opened up his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's the first thing out of his mouth to this group that is gathered? There is God's kingdom available to you, and the way you're going to have access to it is humility. Humility. You know what community life requires? Humility. Because it's, it's easy to have relationships that are surface, superficial, where you just kind of bounce off of each other every now and then. And I mean, I'm guilty of this, right? Like I see you in a hall here on a Sunday morning and in 30 seconds, you know, we have these brief little encounters and things can sound wonderful or they can sound terrible or anything in between in some little 30 second interaction. But real life happens when I'm willing to really get to know you and let you get to know me. And that is going to require humility on both sides. If I'm going to invite you into my life, you're going to see the good, the bad, and probably plenty of ugly too. And the same thing's going to happen with me and you. It goes both ways. But Jesus says, hey, this is my plan. And if, if you guys are willing to humble yourselves enough to experience community with each other, that invites me into the middle of it. If, if you'll together process and think about and consider what I have to say, you'll actually learn how to apply it. See, the wise man heard it and did it. Now, that, that can sound like a command, but it's actually really practical. How do you learn stuff? By getting your hands dirty, by doing it. I mean, even in school, like you sit in the classroom and you look at the whiteboard, or if you're a little bit older like me, you looked at a chalkboard, like you, you look at that thing, and then the next thing you know, you're being told to try to work out one of the problems. Or you're going to go home and do some homework and bring it back in, and you're going to learn through trial and error. You're going to learn through one of your other classmates getting up and trying to work a problem on the board. Or let's say you're, you're learning something a little more hands-on. Do we have anybody in here that's pretty good with their hands at like fixing things or repairing things? I really shouldn't have mine up right now. I'm actually terrible at that. All right, a few of you are willing to admit it. I think there's some good, good fixers here. I'm terrible at that stuff. The first few years we were married, like, I almost refused to even try to fix things around the house. Like, I hated it. Something that should take 10 minutes, I turned into like a 10-day project. I broke more things than I fixed. It was a disaster. And, and one of my problems wasn't just that I didn't know how to do it. I hadn't heard. I really hadn't been shown. I didn't have that person that could actually show me like, here's how you tighten that wrench or here's the step that you go through there. And I'll tell you what, YouTube has like changed my life. <laughs> has anybody ever practiced like looking up on YouTube how to fix something? I mean, I've like fixed our dishwasher, our washing machine, stuff on our cars. Like, I am not mechanical and I'm not good at that stuff. But it's amazing what happens when you can not just hear somebody telling you how to do it, but you can watch how they do it. And then you can sit there and put your hands on it and try it. And, oh, wait, let me pause and rewind that and see. When we're willing to get into real life with each other, we don't need to be intimidated by each other. We need to find joy in the fact that I've got things I can learn from you. You've got things you can learn from me. And if we're willing to get our hands dirty, we can learn how to not only hear what Jesus is saying, we can learn how to actually do it. Because we're walking with other people who've tried it out. 
And I don't know about you, it's actually really encouraging to me sometimes to see that somebody else has struggled with something too. That's actually more inviting than somebody that's got it all together. And so I just want to encourage us to opt in, to choose community, to be willing to humble ourselves and learn together how to apply and put into practice the things Jesus wants to teach us. The truth is, even though that can be a scary place, it can be a really cool place. Jesus wants to invite us into loving, healthy community. And so while I have to choose to be humble to jump into that, I also get to choose to be accepting and forgiving of other people that opt into it. See, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to hold myself to a pretty high standard and beat myself up. But if I'm not careful, I can also project that same thing onto other people. And even without realizing it, I begin to hold people to such a lofty high standard that it pushes them away. But instead, if I'm willing to adopt an attitude of of mercy, of love, of forgiveness, I'm not saying we don't challenge each other, but we do it in love. We, We spur each other on towards love and good works, as the scripture says. And so let's opt into community, learning how to work together to see our lives built upon the rock of Jesus. That's what he's inviting us into. Takes humility. Now, Jesus wasn't just telling them something they should do. Jesus lived this. And so at the very start of Jesus' ministry, he not only practiced humility, he opted into community. He did both of those things right at the start. And so the first thing that we see that Jesus does as he's beginning his ministry is he shows up on the scene And there's this guy, John the Baptist. Anybody ever heard of John the Baptist? All right, he's out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people. And like this guy, you know, from from this side of history, he seems kind of strange, right? Like he's wearing like weird furs and he's eating honey. And like he just sounds like this crazy dude. But people were actually drawn to him. There was something compelling about him. And crowds were coming to him to hear about God. And people were being baptized left and right and repenting. And so John the Baptist was kind of like this known guy, and yet he kept saying, just wait, there's somebody else coming. This guy that's coming, like, I can't even unlatch his shoes, this guy that's coming. I'm just baptizing with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's letting them know Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming. And so Jesus starts his ministry, and of course, like, he goes to John the Baptist. This guy's been declaring him. Now, does Jesus walk up to John and be like, all right, John, let him know. I'm here, I'm the guy, I've arrived, pass the baton, put me up on your pulpit. Is that what Jesus does? No, in fact, John tries to do that and Jesus says no. Look what Jesus does, Matthew chapter three, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Jesus put himself in the place of the servant, not the leader. And so he goes to John. In verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to come live the very life that I'm inviting other people into. I'm going to come and humble myself. Now, a beautiful thing happens when Jesus chooses publicly to humble himself and to be baptized. Remember, he's identifying with sinners by doing this. 
John's baptizing people for repentance of sin. And Jesus, I'm not saying Jesus came sinful. I'm just saying like he's identifying himself with sinners. And so here he comes and he's baptized by John. And watch this, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If we opt in to humility in, a, in, in an environment of community, what we find there is not shame and embarrassment because we've humbled ourselves. If God's at the center of it, we find affirmation and identity. Jesus is declared to be God's son whom God loves. He affirms him. He validates him. He establishes his identity as Jesus has humbled himself. The truth is, if we're willing to come into community humbly, bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your struggles, come as you are. And if we invite Jesus into the middle of that, we can watch God show up and speak life and affirmation into our own lives and into the lives of our community of friends. And, and we can come in as a people maybe humble and nervous and we can go out knowing who we are in Jesus, knowing we are loved by him and knowing there are other people who love us as well. That's what that offers. And so here's Jesus and he comes and he humbles himself and then, man, he walks through, through some struggles. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He fights through resisting sin and he comes back and he immediately surrounds himself with community. See, Jesus wasn't just this preacher that showed up on the scene and then went and lived his own private life. He invited the disciples to come live with him day in and day out. Come walk through life with me. And so Jesus lived a life of humility and community. That's his way. And that's what he invites us into. So, so my heart, my prayer is that we would do that. Now, practically, as a church, we're going to start some home groups and hoping people plug into those, but this isn't about trying to sell you on Grace Chapel's home groups. This is about encouraging you to invest in community. Connect with other people. Be willing to invite Jesus into relationships that you have. Put this into practice right now in your homes. With, with friends, with neighbors, with children, husbands and wives, put this stuff into practice. If you've got roommates... Invite Jesus into the middle of those relationships. Choose humility and watch what happens when you wrestle through the stuff that Jesus is speaking to you and how you can apply it in your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you invite us into real life in you. Jesus, I thank you that, that your heart is for people. You love us. And God, you invite us into that same kind of life Lord, we learn more and more how to love you and to follow you. And God, we learn more and more how to love people well, the people you've put in our lives. God, would you put us on a track to becoming your disciples? Lord, help us to learn how to follow you, to let you change and grow us. And God, I pray that we would choose community, that we'd be willing to be on mission with you, learning how to love others well. God, I pray that we wouldn't be worried about putting on a front like we're all somehow spiritual parents. 
But God, we'd just be real and come as we are. If we're infants in the faith, we'd be infants. That's okay. There's no shame in being a baby. Babies are awesome. God, there's no shame in being a, a teenager in our faith and sometimes doing amazing, powerful things and other times stumbling along the way. God, I just pray we'd be willing to come as we are and be real where we are and find there's a, a community of believers who love us right there. Lord, teach us more and more how to be people that aren't trying to do your part and fix everybody and we aren't trying to do other people's part and force them to change. But God, that we just learn how to love and encourage and be consistent with one another to do our part in our community. God, finally, would you help us to love lost people? Lord, that we wouldn't write them off or get frustrated with them. God, that we'd also recognize the places in our own lives where we're lost. And we'd see your invitation to come home. God, finally, ultimately, I pray this morning for, for just this simple truth, God, of choosing community. God, of, of wanting to be people who hear from you and apply what we learn from you. And God, that we'd be willing to do that in the way you prescribed. God, that we'd opt into community. That we'd humble ourselves enough to let people in. And God, that we'd be loving and patient enough with others that they would feel like they can, they can come into our lives and be affirmed and loved and accepted. Holy Spirit, we just want to say right now, you are invited into our lives personally. God, we invite you into our community, this community of believers. God, I pray this over our young adults that are here, the community that you're building in Franklin. Holy Spirit, would you come and move in their lives in a fresh way? God, knit their hearts to each other. Lord, help us to take the risk of being humble. God, the truth is humility actually requires a lot of courage. And so God, help us to be courageous and humble ourselves with you and others and watch the miracle that you'll work in our lives to affirm us and to establish our identity in you. God, that our lives will be built on the firm foundation of who you are, Jesus. We love you and commit our hearts to you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.